0: So I thought maybe just to uh, ease into the evening, uh, I would give a little commentary on this Wendell Berry poem, if I could. Uh, Reading it again just real quickly for for the tape. And the world cannot be discovered by a journey of miles, no matter how long, but only by a spiritual journey, a journey of one inch, very arduous and humbling and joyful, by which we arrive at the ground, at our feet, and learn to be at home. So uh, there's really a, quite a lot in that little poem. <clears throat> the first word that comes to mind, just to talk just a bit about, is to, the concept of journey. And he's making it very clear that a journey away or a journey of ec- external um, pursuit isn't really what the what the um, spiritual journey is about, but uh, it's interesting how much credibility we give that kind of external journey in our life where we uh, feel as if uh, that there's something that we have to uh, gain or add to ourselves to be complete uh, completely to completely arrive spiritually. Some bit of information some teaching some uh, monastery, something uh, something that needs to be garnered uh, in a way so that uh, this uh, rich urgency that we may feel inside can be uh, nourished. And uh, many of us take that uh, inherent inward pull to be an external uh, source that needs some uh, pursuit. And so we uh, we do a, all variety of different uh, excursions away from ourselves in order to to satisfy that hunger, that inward hunger. And uh, it's not until the, the real maturity of the practice comes at a certain point when one realizes it's to be at home with oneself that the whole of the spiritual journey really can be summed up in that that we don't let our mental tendencies, which have always said to us, emotional and attitudinal and thought-provoking tendencies that we have inside of us which have always led us to try to acquire what we feel is needed externally in t- terms of grasping and desire. I mean, that's what a desire is. It says something is missing here and I need to gather it in, consume it, ingest it, and then in that ingestion somehow ingest, uh, ingestion process I will somehow be satisfied. But uh, what you find is that um, there may be temporary satisfaction uh, through that kind of acquisition, but ultimately it leads. The hunger continues, and so uh, at some point you you were left to deal with the emotional uh, component, which led us to the pursuit in the beginning, it, it, from the beginning, right? The 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 thing that says in us that I am incomplete or. Um, somehow unresolved as a human being and that I need something added. And it it comes very quickly, uh, comes many, 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 many times during the day and we just give ourselves over to that as a fact that that since that emotion arises, it must confirm the fact that I'm as incomplete as I feel psychologically because most of us do feel psychologically incomplete. And so then we just keep trying that that satisfaction, that external satisfaction. Uh, and I think that the maturation of in meditation, and we start uh, with the explanation, even in the very first sitting when we're all sitting around in, in the beginning class, uh, and uh, we say, okay, now just be with your inward experience as it is, don't let it drive you towards some kind of false conclusion about the state of your, the nature of your being. I can't uh, emphasize how important that turnaround is, because up until this point we have just been giving uh, complete credibility to our state of mind as being the accurate description of our internal life. If I feel deprived, then I am deprived. I don't see it as an emotion and a thought that's formed around some sense of conclusion. I see it as the absolute fact of my disposition in that moment, the state of who I am. And so we are breaking apart the state of who we are in meditation by instead of confirming that fact with the uh, with the excursion outward we are looking at that fact and asking more from it asking to say is this true is this emotion i'm feeling of let's say incompletion let me just let me just steady my attention upon that sense of incompletion rather than confirming the incompletion through activity let me just steady my attention on that It's very difficult, arduous, he says. Also joyful, because all of a sudden we're freed up from the belief that we need to gather in the field that's in front of us, rather than that, that that the completion may be in just changing the perception of within that same emotion, so that how I hold it, what happens... This is going to be short, <laughs> but, but now I'm on to something. So, you know. <laughs> so what happens uh, is that we start convinced in the emotional truth that I'm incomplete. It's a, but if you break it down, it's an emotion, it's an attitude. And once we have confirmed the truth of that emotion, an accompanying story begins to occur around that incompletion that convinces us historically of why we've always been complete and why we will ever, forever need to seek our completion. So that story folds in around the conviction within the emotion. Uh, But when we're not in maturity, when we're just letting our emotion feel the way it feels rather than to incite a kind of internal um, anxiety, Uh, we see that there's something that holds that emotion, call it awareness, presence, that is much more extensive in its reach than the little conclusion I reach embedded and invested in the emotion itself. And that if I just relax with the need to act this emotion or attitude out, this awareness comes into full bloom. And it begins to be seen that I have the the capacity to hold, not to hold on, but to allow this to unfold as it will without creating or convincing me otherwise that I am incomplete. Now here's a key phrase in that. The key phrase is allow. Allow The mind cannot do allow. Right? We offer words for you to abide upon, like the word allow. And now we all think we can do it, but how many of us are... Have you ever noticed? You know, there's always a contingency. There's always some conditionality in the allowance, isn't there? It's never... We, allowance is that's the, the, the story is over. Right? It's over. We're moved on. We've allowed that to be now. You know, it's not... We don't care. There's nothing in the mind that uh, continues in, in verse, in song. It's over. Right? So from that definition, how many of us really allow? You see? not very, you, you see, it's not a mental phenomenon. Because the mind can't allow. It's incapable of allowing. You see, so when we say allow, we're asking a different dimension. And so the dimension that is uh, in resistance to the sense of incompletion, that's a mental phenomena trying to get itself to allow this other mental phenomena called incompletion. And so the mind trying to rattle around to... Make room for itself. But allowance can't be found there. No matter what you do, the mind is always going to be uh, slightly um, contentious of this uh, in- sense of incompletion. It doesn't believe that, uh, it, it believes in essence that it really is incomplete. So this, so we have to reframe it. See, the reframing is the awareness. Because awareness isn't of the mind, it can completely reframe the mind. And since it isn't of the mind, it isn't in contention with any quality that is arising from the mind. And so then you get this sense, whoa, this is just like, I mean, as close as I can come to an analogy is what the air does to us or the sunshine or some something that never parts ways with us. And it just holds us regardless of whatever way we turn or whatever we might do. The air is always surrounding us. Now that's allowance. It's not making any demands like get over this thing and move on, Rodney. It's just holding. You see? Now put presence in place of the air. Put seeing. Not your sight, but just observation, awareness. And you can see that the dance is quite beautiful from that dimension. And from that dimension, there's no need to get over completion. There's no, because there's no irritation with completion and there's no sense that completion shouldn't be there, that something else should have taken its place. But there will always be in the mind that sense of a counter- of a counter quality that needs to arise in order for me to feel complete, finally for me to feel complete because that's only the mind only knows if it feels incomplete then it says oh, now I need completion it only thinks in terms of polarity you see and once it has identified the nature of itself as incomplete then it can't help but think in terms of complete terms so uh, the, the reframing of that then is that you that the journey isn't a journey at all. It's a journey of re um, of a new dimension, of reconfigurating the problem, of re perceiving the problem from a different dimension. And that's the problem, because we struggle to produce that dimension, but the mind it's not of the mind. The mind can't produce awareness. It's not. It can produce thought and emotion. It can produce all the things it produces, <laughs> build bridges, but it can't do this one. And so, in some ways, the struggle, the willingness to to cease the struggle of trying to do it, then you, then you, then the fallback, the place where. When you've lost faith in the ability to do it, that what catches you is the fact that it's already done, that it's already here for us. I'm not speaking um, in metaphors. I'm not t- storytelling. This is, this is really true. This is at hand. This is right here for each one of us right now. You can get a sense of it as you loosen the stranglehold we have on ourselves. And the struggle ceases and you just get the sense of a new dimension arising. And sometimes it's very it feels as if it's very tentative because we're so used to coming back into ourselves and promoting as truth the quality and statement that the mind is making, but as we just as we as we move, it's, it is a journey in that sense, in that we relearn who we are, we le- relearn what is important, we relearn the facts. You know, we've been reading the newsprint but the paper is printed on is far more important. And suddenly the paper comes forward. Okay. So, I don't mean to hush you all up with that, (laughs) but any questions or comments at all, please. Yes. Yeah, Jerry. Okay, uh, so his comment is that um, allow, uh, he says you uh, might be in the middle of a feeding frenzy of the mind where it's grasping and doing some things. And he says, okay, well, allow. You know, allow isn't going to do anything but let this feeding continue. This desire would just. Uh, so I, I better pull in the reins a little bit, right? Is that a little bit? Refocus, do something, right. Um, Well, uh, there are several things in that question, and um, I would invite uh, uh, we'll, we'll sort of take it apart a little bit. Okay, so uh, when, when you're truly allowing, it's not a, when it's a mental phenomena. You're right; it's in competition with the desire that it's after. The, you know, the, it says, "Okay, now just allow this desire," but the desire is. Is uh, it's a, so that is a, a mental state that we are bringing forth as a kind of watching of the desire, this allowing, right? And so they're are simultaneously arising there, and what, as long as there is that kind of uh, that sense of um, of perspective on the desire, you have to ask uh, integritus and. Perceptual questions about whether that desire is sane and healthy and useful and all of that sort of thing, and and to reel yourself in if you find yourself doing things that are unskillful. So it's not a call to just ignore the unskillful. You know, you see the that even that form of awareness as it's presenting itself as uh, through the mind uh, does have some objectivity as to what. <laughs> Whether this is going to be beneficial or not, this desire that I'm playing out, right? And so, it's in that form or phase of practice where we are kind of in our practice as well as watching our practice, right? And that's a phase of practice. I don't mean to um, move us too quickly to that through that phase, but that's a phase that we often get stuck in. And the allowance that where I'm suggesting where the allowance I'm suggesting is much more uh, a totality of presence of the whole mind. Now, when there is the awareness of, of the whole of the mind, not uh, just the factor of greed, but also what we may want to counteract in terms of the greed or the other, just the, the whole dialoguing, in commentary that's going on back and forth about the greed and the watcher and how we don't want all of that. When all of that is taken as as, a complete, as the complete whole of the mind, what you'll find is that greed loses its um, force. The reason greed has its force is because of the contention of that. Other perspective, which I'm now going to try to allow it, and yet there's a thought that says, if I do really allow it, this thing will get out of control. See, there's tension in that. That tension creates and maintains and assures that the greed will continue. When I um, uh, uh, when I bring forth the, the awareness that is not self-driven the awareness of the whole. Now, how do I do that? I do that by relaxing all the tension that's in there. When I relax the tension in there, I relax the squabbling uh, argument against the greed, and the greed loses its force and momentum because it was built upon that resisting factor. I need. It only gets its power because of the component that's trying to Oh my God! I'm out of you know that competing factor of mine because the sense of self is formed in that, and when you don't have I need, you just have need. You have a very different relationship to the state of mind than I need. Right? So in 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 not. Creating any antagonism without dividing the mind against itself, you have ended the polarity and duality in which greed is now chasing. Because the world is formed from that uh, sense of inward conflict with greed or the attachment to greed which is another form of resistance. But in the the totality, then there isn't a sense of me having to need something external to myself. That was built upon or formed upon the mind competing against itself, not wanting the greed or being attached to the greed. And therefore, the, it essentially evaporates. It evaporates, and I use this word um, cautiously because uh, people misunderstand it, but it, it, go, it evaporates in emptiness. It just goes, it doesn't maintain that driven, divisive need that I want. So uh, where we, I'm encouraging some of us to move is out of this phase in which we're um, we're really weighing in so heavily uh, on our states of mind that we're creating more tension and more resistance and more sense of I within that mind that assures the uh, greed will manifest and uh, and. and um, in a very exaggerated form. Rather than that, just stop. Because greed is saying, I want something out there. That The greed is also saying, I am incomplete in here until I get that thing out there. And if we just stop with that sense of completion or that whole story then it can't move us to act it out. Because what's it saying? You see, if you're still acting it out, you're still in there, uh, totally identified with the greed as the and the incompletion as the finality of what you need in order to be complete. So the story is still promoting itself. But what if I just got quiet enough so that... I just didn't believe the story. See, that takes a dimension of awareness. Now, in which the whole mind is seen, even the sense of I. And it's dead in the water. Because what can move me? What can move me? What can move me when everything is being considered? Everything is being seen. What, would, what could possibly move me? I'll tell you what would move you. Love. Because that is what... is the only thing that can move... It's not as if it moves me. It's what moves, period. But I, the sense of I will never know love because the embodiment eye is the lack of love because it's the lack of the whole. It doesn't see from the whole perspective. Once you see from the whole perspective, the perspective is love and love moves towards itself. Now, I just changed words on you, I know. So, uh, when you find yourself moving, just ask who's moving. In this experience right now, Let me cast my awareness back far enough so that I see what it is that seems to want to move. And what you'll find is that there is some sense of incompletion there that wants to get away from itself. And if I I can hold that in awareness, then what moves me? If conditioning doesn't move me, what moves me? is for each of us to find, discover. There will become a of time though, in your practice, where you you this you an absolute um, resolution of heart comes that says, I'm not gonna be I'm not moving from conditioning or fear. I'm not moving anymore from conditioning or fear. And I don't know what is left after that, but I'm not doing it anymore. Because what? Why? What is it? It's and it's not true. It's just an emotional impulse that has led me into disastrous and unskillful results my whole life. What could come? I'm not going to follow that path anymore. So you get very quiet inside. And then love moves. Love moves itself. It doesn't move me because the me is no longer a component force in this thing. And if it's. it moves towards non division. That's the way love moves. It moves no, towards non divisiveness. But that takes a unique expression and form in each one of us, it's not one way it moves. Okay, I, other qu- questions or comments? There can be something very pragmatic. Yes, yes sir. The first couple of years of my practice, I was really enthusiastic about, especially the same... Uh, the question is about uh, his practice in the beginning uh he was very excited, uh, very giddy, uh, wanting to practice, getting up, kind of bouncing towards practice and really uh, loving it. And since then it has normalized, over the years has normalized and become very uh, ordinary, mm-hmm. and um, not, but not as exciting. Uh, you know, it's very, it's very important to get over that first phase of excitement very quickly. And it takes, some, it takes us a while. In fact, some people never recover after it goes. Uh, I've seen people uh, be so enthusiastic about the practice. In fact, when, when especially in the beginning class, but even some of you, if you come up to me too excited about how your practice is going, I, I get very cautious inside uh, because I know that uh, you know, that, isn't, that isn't the nature of a sustained practice. If you're dependent upon... Uh, that um, exaggerated emotional response uh, and uh, that excitement, then I just, I'm not sure how much energy you're going to have for it when it inevitably goes. Because in the end, there is really, as, as this poem says, you know, you end up at your feet. And, you know, it's not, you're not in this wonder, it's not, uh, it, it's not a myth or uh, a fable, or something that you know, is taking you away from your misery so that you're going to be cured of all the difficulties in your life. In fact, it does just the opposite. It takes you into your miseries, you know, shows you them up close and very f- personal. And that, there, there's not a lot of excitement in that. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, sobriety when you really see uh, what it's about. And it's uh, often very discouraging for a long period of time about the amount of work you have to do internally when you see yourself, you know, in a up close and familiar. And many of those tendencies last for long, long years, years and years. And so there can be discouragement in that they're not going away. I mean, some people in the beginning. Um, get, uh, because of their potential or whatever, perhaps their, their karma, they lots of things fluff off very quickly, and they see, oh wow, this is an amazing practice. I can't believe how great this. Practice. But it's not. I can guarantee you, that's not the way it's going to be. Uh, you know, down the line. That's why I say, um, and I'm, I'm not suggesting you know this particular group, but having a regular uh, practice at home and getting and going, you know, to church, so to speak. <laughs> and I don't mean that. I mean, you know, in group or in, in a sangha, you just do it. Just you just do it uh, as you because like you would anything else that's imp- um, important but not sensational, like eating. Okay, you know, you, you know sometimes you have a great meals, sometimes you don't. But you just do it, and it's that the the willingness, day in and day out, that has that alters the cells of the body. If you wait for just the highs or just the great moments, and you can't do it under chaos or tension, or when you're minded, you're missing the point. They're missing the point. And over time, this thing, you get little mile markers that uh, are very, wow, I can't believe that. When you just see yourself or read something you said, or sometimes I'll listen to a Dharma talk I said even 10 years ago, I said, I can't believe (laughs) how. Please erase that. (laughs) Because you've grown. You've moved on. You've moved beyond yourself. But it's not. It's often not dramatic. There can be times in everyone's practice that it is dramatic, but that isn't the point. The point is to show up for yourself, regardless. And so, uh, some people's practice. Each everybody's practice unfolds very differently. Some people's practice never gets very exciting in the beginning, and it's kind of a drudgery. But that's actually. A little better place because if you face the hardships early on, and that's as hard as it'll be, you start finding it actually getting a little easier after your mind settles down just a little bit, settles down more quickly, and you go, "Wow, God, now you're now you're into the routine without the excitement," and you're also seeing the um, advantages, you know, and you've seen some progress. And people move from progress, there's no question about that. And um, they move because they see that it works. You know, they stay in it because they see that it works. But what are you looking at to make that conclusion that it works? Excitement? To be sustained? That's not going to work. How about a growing sense of stability? How about um, uh, a, a, a more caring, Awareness, where you just you just care about things, things deeply touch you. Uh, Your attention spans a little better. You don't move quite as frenetically during the day. Your priorities shift, where busyness isn't as important as relationship. You see, just little things, but they aren't little really. They're significant. They're they're life altering. But because it's like trying to watch a child grow, it's so gradual, you may miss it completely. And it's just at age ten, you say, "My God, I, you know, I'm a lot taller than I was a few years ago." And you have growth spurts. It's not an incomplete metaphor. You do have growth spurts. But just, just, do, just getting in there and staying the course. I, I am telling you that this after. Um, of 35 years of practice, you know, just you just you just stay in there and ask yourself questions. And I mean, that's what my job is: is to hold you steady in yourself and give you appropriate questions to ask to keep you moving. Because you can get just that; you can operate with under. You can develop a relationship with your practice that. Doesn't move at all. You get very satisfied. You're a little more comfortable. Your life's a little easier. But you're still sitting. But not, but you're not bringing. You're not going to, um, you know, to, to the uh, boundary of yourself. You're not seeing your fears. You're not testing. You're not. You're not moving into new. You're getting too complacent. You can That can happen, right? So when I say doing it every day as a routine. Yes, but it's not inside. You're, there's, you're not just settling back and being comfortable, right? There's an active component to meditation as well as a passive one. And then you, you don't, as a friend of, as Narayan, a friend of mine says, you know, you don't ask where you are on this practice. It's not none of your business. She says that where you are in your practice none of your business. <laughs> Others? Yes, sir. I, I'm uh, interested in... Uh, in, in having- so uh, the question is about his mortality and he's interested in... Um, uh, an inquisition or investigation into that, but he says, "Well, it's not here. You know, it's not something I can immediately investigate." And how do I, how do I uh, align myself to something uh, that's kind of imaginary or in the future, sometime? Well, this again is a very um, interesting question uh, because uh, it's a hook in a few people. it was a hook in me uh, in which I. Deeply wanted to understand death. Uh, so, once that hook gets in you, it, it's very important for you to to, to uh, live the life of it as long as it uh, continues to gnaw at you. All right, don't try to turn your back or form conclusions about it. But uh, hold the hold the uh, the idea because it's yes, in one sense it is. The physical death is in the future, but in a moment I'll talk about a different kind of perceptual death death, that you can see immediately. Mm -hmm. But begin to just be inquiring about death itself rather than your death. Because it's happening all around us. And don't think of death as just the ending of the body. Think of it as the, the ending of something. And it could be the forgetting of a thought. Or the end of an experience, or the uh, you know the uh, the ending of a good time, or it can be uh, you know the changing of the seasons, or the falling of a leaf, or anything. The end of a particular sense impression. Just look for beginning and endings, births and deaths within life itself. Right, so you get a real good feeling. What this does is it starts you start entering the world of death that is all around us that we refuse to acknowledge. And you'll see your level of denial and how much we only want to see the birth of life, the new things of life. So you make a conscious intention to, to see the entire expanse of the of life. Birth, life, death. You want to see it all. Okay? And when you do that, you begin, you are included in that surveillance. So you begin to see that the sense of you, with a thought coming and going, emotion coming and going, physical sensations arising and <coughs> passing away, ideas, emotions, attitudes all changing. In fact, the world here and the world here is completely different. Something dramatically just happened there. The only reason that we see that as a continuum is I say, okay, it's all now in a uniform, it's all uniform. But in fact, completely different sense impressions occur. If we just allow this world and then this world and then that world, you'll see that every moment, every sense impression, it really exists on its own that we provide the continuity that we call time in the world. And you begin seeing that. You begin seeing it because you're interested in beginnings and endings. Now you're seeing your ending and renewal moment after moment. Now this gets very interesting, you see. We start off concerned about the physical moment of death, but now we're really looking at the spiritual component of where this has drawn us in. And it gets fascinating. I'm not going to spoon-feed you on how to do that. You have to find your way through that, through uh, the encouragement of lectures and books and ideas and perceptions of your own, or just your own sense of, of, uh, of, uh, of going where your heart pulls you, which it will. I started off... You know, just hanging out at the bedside of the dying. I wanted to know what it was like for others to die and for me to be in the room and watch it. Okay? And then I thought, I can't escape this damn thing because when I see their mortality, I see my own. So then I had to go, oh, I have to look at that. So then, see, it just keeps going that way, it never lets you go. You never draw a conclusion about what death is because you'll never know. And the, it just for, it pulls you deeper and deeper into the well of its own depth. All right? And it's, uh, it's an amazing journey. This isn't exactly the storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone else? Yes. yes dear. Um, in, sometimes I... I you're, very, you're right on you? this. <laughs> uh, the question uh, has to do with uh, sometimes um, in her readings or listening to the Dharma or practice. She feels like she's on the verge of a discovery, of an insight, right there... Uh, you know just about ready for something to crack open or some feeling of drama coming in um, and then her mind catches hold and it just starts buzzing around and it seems to take her distance her from uh, the uh, the level of insider involvement she was just in so first of all you see the, the sense of being on the verge of is really you're, al- you're already seeing it or you wouldn't feel the compelling nature of it. Now it may not be revealing itself in its completeness right? but you can be sure that that sense of that sense of, of right on the edge of something something's being imparted there. Right? It might be energetically being imparted rather than conceptually. But then the mind tries to get, regain control because on that edge, you're not in control. And so the mind comes in and tries to gain its own footing by coming up with a lot of concepts and ideas about what you just saw and the implications of what you saw. And it gets excited or it starts talking, thinking about what are you, you're going to do with all this information. And, and suddenly you feel yourself very distanced, which is wisdom, wisdom, you see yourself very distant and you think oh what just happened to me i was there and now i'm like miles from there that's that's actually and so what can you do you see is just to understand how the mind disrupts so let now you have a new insight instead of the old one which you now have to release you're no longer on the edge of whatever it is that you were just about right but something just showed you something else and now you've learned from that. You learn how the mind recovers itself through its own vocabulary, through its own concept. Now you're back discovering again. You're not begrudging the discovery or the distance that you had from the first discovery. You're, on, you're doing this ongoingly. Okay? So, so instead of saying, oh, damn, how can I shut the mind up? That's the wrong way to weigh in. Don't weigh in on it. Look for the ongoing sense of discovery that the mind is always trying to undermine and keep itself securely known and in place, not through discovery, but through the security of what is known. You see? You go, wow. So that, now you've, now the all-important understanding of how the mind uses its own mentation for continuance. This is tremendous. This is my, this is being on the brink, okay. But it's not may not be as exciting. It may be God, oh my, look at this thing. Jeez, this thing is really dragging me through the Yeah? But if you get into the right perspective of how to use what the mind is doing for further insight, you'll never be remiss or distant from that learning. Hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Yes that same idea. Sure. I've uh, been thinking about that sort of transition as kind of a collapse of understanding when, when it seems like yes. it's going from uh, just just sort of thinking, uh, well, I it makes sense and then trying, and then it kind of goes into a definition. Yes, and, yes. And, and it feels like uh, that the more, you know, the definition just sort of controls the thing or pushes it away or Yes. Matter, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but. I, 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 I hear you let me make sure that I've got that your question correctly um, so uh, along the same lines as the question be preceding is that uh, when the mind comes back in with all of its verbiage and concepts you're thinking well there must be some value in the mind doing this so that it can be communicated or uh, so that relationship can continue Rather than just being an insight door all the time, right? That there must be some value to thinking. Is that well? I, I guess I, I guess that part of the idea is just so that um, I guess it seems like they to, to be able to somehow. Encode the understanding in a way that you can recall it, so you don't have to keep asking the same questions. Right to encode. This is a mistake. This is I got. So, it must be some way that the that the uh, intellect uh, forms it in memory sufficiently so that you can recall it and bring it forth when needed. Okay, that that's a very. This is very important. Forget it. (laughs) Forget it this is the mind in its most devious form <laughs> okay and you and, uh, see <laughs> it's what it's trying to do is to bring what was spontaneous eruption of creativity of seeing something new and it's trying to bring it back into the dimension in which it can become a, a secure knowledge base so that I can act from the security of that knowledge in the future. and it, Or to dialogue with it, or just to bring it up and recall it. You don't need to do that. The mind thinks you do. The mind thinks it needs knowledge. Oh, God, I've really got this point. Now, it starts weighing in on how it can help my life. Right? And so uh, I need to recall, okay, now I'm in a different situation. I just had a moment of, of inspiration and uh, understanding of impermanence. Uh, now I can use it as uh, you know, not to worry about my new car getting dented. It's permanent, you know. And so we start using the the insight as a way to back away from our pain, or a way from to ameliorate our pain. So now it becomes concept. It becomes, becomes a philosophy. Oh, I'm not going to worry about the car, dear. All things change. That now we're lost. We're lost back in philosophy. The, the point is, is to get to the rim of the canyon and stay there. Live life. Let life live itself through us. And see what it... See what it See what happens. Because we are then a passive recipient. We don't need to take our meditation or, uh, and make it into a philosophical statement of ourselves. What you'll find is that that will back you away from life. It'll, it'll make it a little easier to, to do some things uh, and you won't worry quite as much and you may think that that's a real spiritual advancement. But spirituality is not a philosophy at all. It's an actual living experience. And you don't have to code it or remember it or anything. In fact, at some point, I was, when I was writing this book that I was writing, I kept having insights about it, so I kept writing them down. I kept writing, I've got to say this, I've got to say that, I've got to say that. i carrying scraps of paper with me. And I thought, what is it? What am I doing? My thought was, I'll never have another insight except the ones I've had. Right. These are this is this is the way life renews itself insightfully. So at that point I say, okay, whatever comes out while I'm writing, that's the that's what comes out. That's what's supposed to arise within this manuscript. Instead of bring pieces little pieces of paper and trying to put them in, you know, at odd places and then it doesn't fit in the writing anyway. And it doesn't fit in your life to work it philosophically like that either. This is about spontaneity. This is about a dimension that most of us refuse to cross because we're afraid of losing control. In fact, we don't have control. Life has control. But life is a much better, much better at it than we are. <laughs> much better. yes sir so then following up on that is study it's and reading study and reading right, study and read, right. Yes. <coughs> right. right. studying and reading um, studying reading uh, has its place uh, but we can it, it depends on the motivation and the way you do it if you just do it because it feels good you know and I always do that we first get into the Dharma and we go God I can't believe look at this we get high on the words don't we and, but that doesn't last long. The aha of the doesn't last long because then you... like you know it all and nothing's exciting anymore and you haven't and you haven't lived any of it. You haven't integrated any of it. So if you become uh, sophisticated dharmically but you haven't become alive to dharmically. Now, there's a, that's one way and we we'll all have to find our way through this. The other way is to read until something feels like... Um, it touches you. You may only read a paragraph or even a sentence. If you read beyond that, you have read too much. And you take that and and it says something and you just work with it. You work with it you just let it sit with you. You let it float in your consciousness, taking you to experiential orientation to what it means until you really realize what it means rather than just an intellectual curiosity or excitement about what it is and you'll know that place because there'll be a, f- a sense of fulfillment around that idea and it'll no longer be an- as enticing as it used to be. And then something else will be and you'll move into that and it'll keep bringing you forth. it keep calling you, luring you into yourself is what it's doing. Right? Uh, so we have to be careful that we don't bring the intellectual curiosity only to it. There's going to be some of that. That's going to happen and you're going to find yourself over reading, uh, your realization, but there's a f- distinct, almost somatic feeling to that when you d- when you've read too much, because it's as if you, you know it's exciting and but you're, it's like uh, a dessert that you've overeaten, you know, and it just and it's like you know it's like Another spoonful, another spoonful. Wait a second here, you know, something's, something's out of whack. I'm not even eating my vegetables. I'm just eating, you know, it's like something's out of whack. And so pay attention to something being out of whack. That feeling of being out of balance with it. This is about reali- realization of the truth. So we hear something that, you know, I love, I, I, just from any wisdom book, you know, you, you hear something uh, and you go, whoa, that's interesting. And now I just stop with it. Let me, let me think if I. Uh, Be whole like your Father in heaven is whole. This is a Christian. Christ said that. So I was reading that. Be whole is stopped. Be whole. Because being whole is your Father in heaven. And you see it right there. You you see it. That everything is in wholeness. And he was just using metaphorically for the times, the language. But those things can be realized. And when they're realized, they aren't Spouted off as dogma, they become integrated into the cells of your body. Yes, last question for the evening. How that balances out, where it's it isn't easy. So, how does uh, life experience play into all of this? And he used the ex- experience of riding a bike on. Wet pavement, and uh, which is uh, very interesting because four weeks ago I rode a bike on wet pavement and cracked some ribs. So now when I get on my bike, how does that previous experience? I can speak about. <laughs> oh, I was set up. I was set up. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. So in, in any case, um, how does previous experience? Well. Um, it's not one or the other. I mean, you know, if, if somebody has manipulated you in the past, you aren't naive and say, "Okay, now I'm open completely for it. Th- that." Knowledge of being manipulated remains there. You're not naive. It's not. We're not talking about it's innocence, but not naivety, right? And so you you don't give them the same leeway. Until that you you can you're convinced that that aspect of them isn't coming forward anymore. I don't ride in the same way now because I didn't realize that um, that I could fall as easily as I could on wet pavement. Now I know that I don't I'm not naive about that anymore, right? So um, life experience works um, compatibly with activity. But that doesn't keep you, you get on the bike and you don't go, oh my, oh my god, am I going to fall this time? This you know, it's not like an ongoing set of stress to get on the bike, right? Why ride it? Right? You can just, the knowledge, you can do so much with the past experience and it allows a certain, um, you know, moderation of your activity, but it doesn't increase the fear component. And then what happens happens. Um, then the next time I said, "God, okay, I can't even do that anymore." Now, I've, now you're even more cautious over there, and you give up riding the bike at age sixty-one. But so so it works hand in hand, and, it, and in no way am I contradicting anything I've said. Right? You don't lose the ability to discern; you gain the ability to discern. You don't lose experience and what experience has offered you in terms of the way we You gain that. Right? And and in in fact, life experience I found uh, to be much more settling because I now know life from having worked it on all the different issues and that knowledge base is in me, I'm much more settled about my life than because I, before I was knowledgeable of it. And there can't be just a sense of ease and relaxation with it and knowing what's important both through discernment and life experience and through insight. You just know, you see life very differently and what's worthwhile, what it's there for, what it's there for and how it works for you. You see? So. Okay. Thank you all for your attention this evening.